I tell you what, it's a very special day. Parents, we love you. We love your children. And grandparents, it's great to have you here. And, uh, and thank you, Faye, for bringing all this together. We're grateful. Some of you have been sharing the clips that are on Facebook. How many of you know about our Facebook page and our friends on our Facebook page? Let me see your hands, okay? Any of you my personal friends on Facebook? Any of you guys? Okay. I want to thank you for sharing the clips that have been out there. Nathan, who is our media director, took a little clip of last week's sermon, and he put it on the Facebook page on Friday or Saturday. It has been viewed 3,200 times as of this morning, all right? And uh, that is really a, it's just a minute and 45 seconds long, but thank you for sharing that. And those of you who watch by internet, you can go to the Facebook pages of our church or to my personal Facebook page and share that uh, clip and other things that we put on the Facebook pages as well. That's the greatest circulation we've had for such a little clip that we've done, and I appreciate those who are sharing it. Today we're talking about witnessing, we're talking about telling our story. That's one way we do it is through social media. It's a way to communicate God's love, our concern for others, and the truth of the gospel. We also have lots of other opportunities as we travel. We find Jesus traveling in John chapter 4, going from point A to point B. It's going to be a four or five day journey by foot uh, during this time. He goes through Samaria on purpose, and there he meets this woman who comes to the well to draw water. I'm in chapter uh, 4 of John, verse 7. I'm just going to read a few verses here. If you have your Bibles, if you have your telephone, I hope you're on the, your Bible app, okay? So get on that Bible app with your phone. And uh, let's look at the Scripture here. It's verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, we talked about how Jesus initiated contact in the message last week by asking his question, would you give me a drink? And today we're looking at the question that the woman asked back to him. Now, you've got to understand Jesus is the master of questions. And he's been the master of questions since he was a little boy, age 12, and his parents took him to the temple. He was interacting with the teachers of the law at age 12, and they were amazed, not at his answers, the Scripture says, but at his questions. They were amazed at his questions. Everybody knows that a question is important, that you can teach with a question, that you can learn through a question, you can deliver information through a question. And sometimes we hesitate to ask questions because we don't want to appear uninformed. We're afraid it might not be a smart question. So we hold back and we don't ask the question. But Jesus elicits the question. He prompts the question from people that he encounters. He often responds to a question with a question. Uh, 
an expert in the law came to him and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you have a Bible, what does it say? That's how he answered the question. And the man proceeded to give the great commandment. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus does that sometimes. He does it like a rabbi. He uses a a question to do his teaching. I had a question posed to me on the plane flying back from California this week. The lady next to me was obviously anxious. And she said to me, are you afraid? And I told her I really wasn't afraid. And then I explained to her that flying is the safest means of travel. I told her you were more at risk when you drove the airport than flying in this plane. I said, don't you know not a single passenger died by accident in a jet last year? She said, no. Really? What about that one that disappeared? I said, that was 2014. (laughs) I guarantee you none of this comforted her. All right? She was not any less anxious after I gave her the statistics than she was before, all right? However, it did open up a conversation for us, and we talked about fear and how God uh, provides for us in our need and had a really good conversation about God's care, His forgiveness for us, how He watches over us. I actually got her address to send her some things that I want her to read uh, as a result of our conversation on the plane. So God gave me an opportunity through a question to talk to her about her spiritual condition. Well, Jesus uses these questions. And when he says, will you give me a drink? He listens to her response. He listens to her. I want you to choose to listen to people. If there was any person on planet earth at that well that day who did not need to hear this woman's question or her discussion or her information, it was Jesus. Jesus was already fully informed about the condition of her heart. Over and over again, the gospels say he knew their hearts. He knew they were speaking these things in their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. The Gospels say Jesus knew what people were thinking as he came in contact with them. He already knows the question. He doesn't need her to ask it. He already knew the answer. He knew all the information. There's nothing she could tell him that day that would have been new for Jesus. But he listened. And he let her give the information. He let her ask her question. In fact, throughout the discussion, Jesus talks, then the woman talks, Jesus talks, then the woman talks. That's called a conversation. Jesus had a conversation with this woman. Only because he chose to listen. Now, she needed him to listen. Maybe he didn't need the information that she was going to give, but she needed him to listen. Because through listening to her and paying attention to her, Jesus communicated to her, here at this well, at this moment, you're the only person in the world to me, 
and I'm going to hear what you have to say because I care about you. You know, of course, that's what you communicate when you sit down and talk to a child that has a question. Sometimes we race through life. We have so many other things going on. We don't stop to hear the question. We don't stop to listen. We think we already know the answer. We already anticipate the question. And so we don't engage in the conversation. We do this sometimes with our spouses where we really don't dialogue with one another. There's no give and take. Sometimes we're so full of the answer that all we want to do when we have an encounter at the well is just lecture. If you will just sit here and listen to me for a little bit, I'll tell you how things are. I've got the answer, and you don't need to say anything. I will deliver it to you. That's not what Jesus did here. Do you want to be full of grace and truth? I hope for heaven's sake. You're not one of those people who never has a conversation because you already know everything. I hope that's not true about you. I hope people don't leave your presence and say of you, he didn't hear a thing I said. I hope it's not your style in the world that you're continually pontificating about the things you know. I hope that's not your style. Jesus is Lord to you. This encounter at the well is material for you to follow and model. This is an example of the lordship of Christ in your life. You need to learn how to converse and really listen to people. Now, I'm going to confess something right now. I'm not a great listener. Gosh, I hate to say that. I hate to tell you this. It happened to me when I was a boy. You know I have 12 siblings. They're wild Indians. When they were little, they ran everywhere. They scrambled all around me. And I learned how to put on virtual earbuds. Okay? And I could sit at the kitchen table and do my homework and tune out a dozen people doing all kind of crazy things all around me. They could dance on the table and I would not be distracted. So now, today, when somebody wants to get my attention and tell me something, and the staff will tell you this, first they have to hit me on the head, say, hey, I'm talking to you. Not literally, you know, although sometimes they ought to. But they want to get my attention and say, hey, listen, we got a question for you, because I am something of the absent-minded professor. In this area of my life, I need to grow in grace and truth. I need to be more like Jesus who has this wonderful discernment about him. And he engages this woman at the well. He listens to her. Now, all of you who use earbuds, earbuds are not intrinsically evil, all right? They are good tools. But there is an observation I would make about the character of previous generations. For instance, when young people made trips together. When we came back from Glorietta, young people, the bus was full of chatter. I think the youth minister collected all your electronic devices. Did he? Did any of you go to Glorietta? Anyway, there was lots of chatter. It used to be a a bus would be full of noise, and and a bus driver has recently said, it's so quiet on the bus anymore because everybody's got their earbuds on. I know, 
I know we've got this, this intellectual world we want to live in with our music and, and our tapes and the messages we want to hear. And so we choose to be in this intellectual world. And in a way, it's like me sitting at the table, tuning out everything around me, no matter what's going on, and just being in my own intellectual world. And I want you to observe that Jesus could have done this. Jesus could have sat down at the well and nobody really would have faulted him for putting in his earbuds and just listening to his music and trying to get a little rest while he was waiting for the boys to come back from town. Nobody would have faulted him, okay? But if we always tune out, if our style in the world is to go about in our own intellectual world, the world that we choose without interacting with people as we travel through this life, we're going to miss lots of opportunities to share with them the story that God has given us, and we're also not going to be very much like Jesus who interacted with people all the time in all kinds of ways. This is a model for us in the world, and we've got to pay attention. Jesus wants you to learn how to listen. It's hard work. I know you've got so much you want to say. You've got a rebuttal that's already working in the conversation. You're planning the next thing. When you, as soon as they take a breath, you're going to jump back in. And they know you're not listening to them. The child knows you're not listening. The spouse knows you're not listening. The friend knows you're not listening. That fellow employee, they know you're not listening. They know you're tuned out. You're not really hearing them. Jesus really hears this woman. He says, will you give me a drink? And she responds with a very bold question back to him. Her response is remarkable. And Jesus is saying to her, by paying attention and listening to her, I really care about you. And that in itself is remarkable to her. You have somebody in your history who's done this for you. Somebody in your story, maybe it's been years ago, there was a man at New Orleans Seminary in 1979 who found me in the cafeteria one day. I was eating by myself. And he pulled up a chair facing mine, and he said, tell me about yourself. I was a little surprised by that. But he was an older gentleman and a minister, and then he just shut up and he listened. And he wanted me to tell him about myself. And he asked questions after that, and he was really interested. You know that person who asks you the right question, who remembers when your grandmother was ill and asks about her? You know that person who's really tuned into your life that you remember? That's the person. That style is what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus demonstrated. We want to grow deeper still, deeper still, into love, love, love. Amen? It's what we just sang. And the way you do that is you set aside your agenda, you set aside your script, you set aside the speech you want to make, and you have a conversation with somebody and you really listen to them. It is a great gift to them. And they know it. They know it. For you, they receive it 
as a gift. And it's beautiful. And it opens the way, in this case for Jesus, to hear this woman's question. Now, I want you to understand the question. The question is important. The question is framed in various ways in your translations, okay? Some of them will say, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Gentile woman, for a and I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? So there's different ways that this is translated, in part because there's no punctuation in the ancient Greek text, and we have to understand the punctuation from the context and the vocabulary and the syntax of things, okay? Some people don't even think Jesus' question was really a question. Some of them translate it, give me a drink. I think he really asked, though. I think it was a question. Will you give me a drink? I think it was framed that way because it, it opened her to a conversation with him and she says to him in this question how can you how can you she is going through the door that he left open and starting a conversation that is even more unusual for her than it would be for him she is going to have a significant conversation with a Jewish man it's probably never before happened to her Never before. The Jews don't sit at the same table. They don't eat from the same utensils. They don't travel the same paths. They don't go to the same religious sites. They are separate. They don't have associations with Samaritans. And so it's an astonishing thing for her to open up and say, You are a Jew. I, a Samaritan woman. How can you do this? How can you ask? She is surprised, she is curious, and she is courageous, and she wants to know more. Her first observation in her question is that Jesus is a Jew. Well, that's pretty obvious. She knew he was a Jew. It's interesting, isn't it? Then when God became human, he became a certain ethnicity. When God became man, he became a certain gender. When God became human, he lived in a certain place at a certain time. You must do these things in order to assume true, full humanity. Because everybody in this room may be identified by their culture, their religion, their ethnicity, their gender. We receive our identity from these things. And so when God became man in Jesus of Nazareth, he took upon these things. And it was part of the perplexity of his ministry, which he addressed over and over again. He talked about Gentiles. He talked about what it meant to be a Jew. He talked about being a Samaritan and how that fit into the scheme of things and what that meant. It was, in fact, an important conversation for Jesus as a man to talk about his own identity as a Jew and the identity of other people. And then she says, and I am a Samaritan woman. When I hear her say this, I believe she has matured to a point where she understands something of the perspective of being a Samaritan. And she later on opens this up. 
Being a woman in that day is difficult. You understand the rabbis did not teach women nor have conversations with them because they didn't believe they had the intellectual capacity to have a significant theological conversation. So they did not converse with them about significant things. But Jesus did. She knows she is a Samaritan woman and this is the experience of her life. And she has internalized and understood it's not everybody's experience, but it's her experience. And maybe it's been hard for her to be a Samaritan woman and she's thought about what it means, this ethnicity that is hers, that she did not choose, this gender which is hers that she did not choose. This culture handed down to her. To me, the question is astute. It's a great question. How can you, a Jew, ask me this, a Samaritan woman? Look, I know these words are strange to us, Samaritan. Who knows what that is? What Jesus intends to do and John, the gospel writer, intends to do is deliver to you an idea of the boundaries that exist between human beings. The way we self-identify. The way we understand ourselves. She is not just a woman who lives in Samaria any more than you are a person who lives in Louisiana or wherever you are from. She is a woman of Samaria, just like you are a person of the place where you were born and reared and spent your early years and the patterns of your brain developed as you interacted with people in that culture, in that place, in that time, in that ethnicity and that mix of people. She was a woman of Samaria, just like you are a person of the place where you were shaped, where you were formed, okay? All of these things are embedded in this question of hers. And sometimes we just get the identity wrong. It's hard to be seeing life from the perspective of a, Jew, of a Jewish man when you are a Samaritan woman. I was in California, as I mentioned, and I went to a drugstore and the clerk saw my license and he said, so you're from Louisiana. I said, how would you know I saw your license? Okay. And then he says, you know, we are boiling crawfish here in California. I said, no, I did not know that. He said, yes, people go into the ponds and the creeks and they catch the crawfish and they're boiling them up, just like you do in Louisiana. I said, that's amazing. It's really spreading. And then he says, yes. He said, I only eat the tails. <laughs> and, then he said, and then he said, do you eat the whole thing? Is there anybody here who's eaten the whiskers, the legs, the eyeballs of a crawfish? It's the wrong question, you see? He's out of his element. The California crawfish experience is still in its infancy, all right? It hasn't grown up like it has here. And it's one small, I did tell him I sucked the heads and that grossed him out, all right? Yes, I do suck the heads. I confess that. All right, that was a problem for him. But 
We see life so much from our own perspective. And part of maturing in Christ, part of going deeper in love, part of growing in grace and truth is being able to step back a little from the box in which we were born and reared and begin to see its place in the larger scope of human experience and human history and human understanding. And to have a perspective that develops as we step back and understand that not everybody grew up like us. Not everybody sees life like us. That life's been very different for other people. And it is actually quite hard for you to walk in the shoes of another person. Or get in the skin of another person. And really see life from that perspective. Isn't it amazing? Sychar and Nazareth are about 40 miles apart. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. This lady grew up somewhere in Samaria. Maybe they're around Sychar. 40 miles apart. Like from here to Hammond. And yet they are so different in religion, culture, and ethnicity that they cannot, according to social norms, have even a conversation at this well. They are breaking protocol to talk to one another. And they grew up 40 miles apart. But when I think about it, I suspect there is greater distance between Lakeview and the Lower Nine than there is between Sychar and Nazareth. Think about it for a minute. A reporter asked me this week, if you could spend 24 hours in somebody else's shoes, who would it be? I didn't have to think long because I've been wrestling with this. I said to them, to him, I'd want to walk in the shoes of a black minister from the South. Somebody like Martin Luther King or my friend Fred Luter or Cornelius Tilton or J. Douglas Wiley on the West Bank. I'd like to spend 24 hours in their shoes, in their skin because they say the most astonishing, startling things to me. And when we converse, I'm always walking away amazed at the perspective they have, at the depth perception they have that I lack. We grow up in our boxes, Samaritans and Jews, and we are told not to converse. We have these walls around us. We live in these boxes sometimes all our life. And what Jesus is doing right here, right here, he is showing how his followers are to get out of their box and into their world. That's what he's showing. He doesn't care if it's breaking social norms. He's showing us how we can transcend the difficulties and boundaries and barriers and prejudices of our past to become more like him in our style in the world. See, when John observed Jesus, he said of Jesus, he is full of grace and truth. He was the embodiment of love. People were drawn to him in kindness, his, his compassion, his patience, 
his gentleness with people. They were drawn to him. And these are the qualities we want surfacing in our lives. We want these things to be evident as we live out the life of Christ here. I know that all of us had our perspective, our worldview before we met Jesus. But what baptism illustrates, and Taylor, where's Taylor? Man, you plunge him in the water good. I'm telling you, he was the one that was baptizing him way down. And it's a great illustration of what Jesus is doing in our lives as we move from being people without him to being people with him. As we move from the old creation to the new creation in Christ, we are plunged completely under the water. We baptize the mouth. So we talk differently. We baptize the eyes so we see differently. We put the whole head under water so we think differently. Everything is baptized, plunged into that water. I die to myself, all buried in the past. I come out of that water, a new creation. How? In Christ Jesus. New ways of thinking, new ways of seeing, new ways of hearing people around me, new ways of behaving in the world. The old is gone. The new has come. And the church of Jesus Christ has such a wonderful moment, such a tremendous opportunity in this strife-torn world, this ethnically divided world, to say to this world, through the love of Christ, we are one before God. We have dignity and worth, whatever the color of our skin, whatever our language, whatever our culture. For he has created us. He has sent Jesus to save us all. We are loved by him. This is our identity. I belong to you and this is who I am. No matter. Yes. I feel this very deeply, okay? Can you tell? I'm trying not to be too animated. Because I want you to get the point, not just that I'm excited about it. This question, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can this happen? It will open life to you to see how this happens every day in all kinds of ways with the great spectrum of people around you as you follow Jesus faithfully into your world. And as you do it, you will see in the question, you will look for the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of that person. As the barriers come down and you are open to conversation with those around you, they are going to ask questions like, how can you? And you will be able to follow that trail and see the Holy Spirit at work in that person's mind and heart, which is just what Jesus saw in this question. He saw and knew that in this question, the woman was expressing the need of her heart. This woman who sat beside me on the plane, she said, I'm in a crossroads, and I don't know what to do next. And I talked to her about following Christ in her life, that this new era could be an era of following him. I think this Samaritan woman is at a crossroads too, and she's looking for what's next in her life. And Jesus understood that, and there's so many people around us who are in this very dilemma.
who are wondering, what's next for me? How's life going to come together for me? What's the next step I take? And their questions indicate what's going on right here in their heart. If you are perceptive, when that child asks you the question, I want to be baptized, or why can't I take the bread and the cup? It's a question that might open up a conversation with them that's important and significant. Or if they ask you, well, what about this question in the Bible? It's an important question. And it could be an indication of the Holy Spirit stirring their heart. Listen to questions. Choose to listen. Understand what God is doing in the question and look for his activity in the people who are asking them. I know as I speak to a group this large, there are people in this room who have questions. Jesus always loves questions. It's okay for you to have questions. I want to know if you're ready for an answer. Would you be ready for Jesus to give you an answer to your question? Are you really open to an answer? See, sometimes the question is a way of avoiding the truth that is being conveyed. And so, I'm asking you, if you're at a crossroads, if you're wondering what's next, are you ready and open to the answer? Because I will tell you who the answer is. You have come, become disconnected from the one who gave you life. He made you uniquely as his own creation in his sovereign will and purpose and you are his by creation and you will never find rest or peace until you find your rest in him in other words the unsettled condition of your soul is a call from God to come to him and you will find in Christ Jesus himself the way forward that's next for you the truth that has eluded you and the quality of life you long to know. It's, it's all found in him. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, I pray for those at the crossroads of life today, for this woman on the plane, Shauna, but also for many in this room who wonder what's next. Lord, I pray that you will reveal through your Holy Spirit the wonderful opportunity this crossroads affords, the new start that is possible in you. God, I pray that you will plant faith in our heart and hope in our heart. God, that we will have a great sense of your presence as we ask our questions and set a new course. Father, I pray for the one who has struggled with faith that you will give the faith that they need in this moment to follow you. God, I pray for those who have followed you but a long way away, that you will draw them close and near, that they will become fully committed followers of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you hear our prayers, that you know our need, and by your Holy Spirit that you convict us and draw us to yourself. So we stand before you ready to hear your call and respond. In Jesus' name, amen.